Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. Well, happy 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 anniversary. Happy <laughs> Did you say happy? Okay, happy Easter. <laughs> what day is it? Wow, where did that one come from? I'm Ross, and I'm uh, I'm lucky to be the lead pastor here, and uh, to serve with Jeremy, who I'm just so blessed to have been with for the last seven years. He is a faithful friend, a great leader, and uh, uh, he and the rest of the staff make me laugh all the time. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know we're laughing at him most of the time. <laughs> I'm just joking. No, it's, it's been great. I love serving with Ross, and, and it's a, a good day. Well, he is risen. He is risen. He is indeed. risen indeed. Yes, it's so good to celebrate Easter with you all. What a wonderful day to be here. And um, I, I'm excited. This is one of the most important days on the Christian calendar when we celebrate Christ's resurrection. And, and uh, that's okay. You can clap for that. Let's, yeah, yeah. that's good. Yeah. Um, this, this, you know, his resurrection, for those of you who don't know, this was a powerful event that has repercussions for every single person on earth. Okay. And, and, uh, we're, we're going to spend some time today exploring how the resurrection, uh, provides Christians with an assurance of their salvation. Now, as a creative team, we were sitting around thinking about how can we talk about this? What's the best way that we can explain this and, and really uh, play with this idea? And this is how we, um, well, this is what we came up with. And I hope I say this accurately, but shifts happen. That's, that's actually harder to say than uh, I expected. <laughs> let, me, let me clarify. Can you put that on the screen? S-H-I-F-T-S. Okay, shifts happen. Some people are like really upset with me right now. Like, oh, what are they doing up there? No, here's what we mean. When we experience things, especially powerful things in our lives, there's this process of change that we go through, a shift, right? Mm -hmm. It is, there is. And we're going to focus today on a real down-to-earth discussion, an honest discussion of how shifts happen in our faith, how those shifts can either enhance our faith or diminish our faith. And our hope is that regardless of whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you'll walk away today with a more confident faith or more intrigued with who Jesus is and more uh, focused on what a healthy faith journey and healthy process of pursuing faith might be in Jesus. But we're going to start at Disneyland. Uh, so back when I was a bucktooth little eight-year-old, I went to Disneyland for the first time, and it was so exciting. The pirates, everything, they seemed so real. Food was fantastic. Everyone was happy. Well, fast forward to when I took my kids to Disney, and all I could think of was, we paid how much <laughs> to do two rides in four hours? And the food, as a kid, it was amazing, tickling the taste buds, but as an adult, you look at it and all you see is whole overpriced calories. Everything is made of corn syrup, the syrup and sweetener of Satan himself. 
kids screaming everywhere, sometimes in glee, sometimes because they're overstimulated and tired. And here we are as parents carrying all this pressure of, we're here to make a memory. Just have a good time. (laughs) Nobody else has had that experience, right? But then I remembered. I used to be that screaming kid, loving it, overexcited and overstimulated, but shifts happen in life. They also happen sometimes under relationships as well. You go on, many of you have had the experience of finding the person in your life who you thought was your soulmate or your best friend. And, and then within years or months or days or even hours, one look, one comment, one repeated habit, like none of us that ever leave our, our plate and our clothes somewhere that they're not supposed to be left, right, for 32 years. No one would ever do that to sweet Wendy, would, would they? Our emotions and our thoughts drift so quickly to this person drives me nuts, right? Shifts happen in incredibly powerful good ways as well when we decide to follow Jesus. When the reality of the gift that we celebrate today begins to sink in and become a part of you, you begin to see life completely different. The shift of knowing God's love makes you see people different. It makes you make decisions differently. And you face difficult seasons of your life differently. Life in so many ways when that shift happens seems so much more colorful and vibrant. So as a believer in this life, how do we, how do we experience this? Because we, we know that we all drift. We shift away from Jesus sometimes. We lose focus uh, and begin to look at other things to give us identity and security, right? Can we, can we all agree with this, <laughs> right? Uh, I know it's Easter Sunday, and this is that one time of year when we can come back and we can say, this is what I really believe in. This is Jesus who, who died on a cross and was resurrected you know, back to life. And this is, this is what I truly believe in. But let's, let's be honest with ourselves. We are all prone to drift from what's truly real at times. See, life, it insulates us, it inundates us, it, and it can happen fast. I mean, how many of you can remember having a great Sunday experience, whether it was listening to a powerful message or a prayer moment or sometime in worship, and, and you were there with God and you were saying, Lord, I'll give you everything that I am, everything I have, but then on Wednesday as you're fighting to get the kids in the car so that they can get to soccer practice and you've, you've just hurried through dinner and, and you're stressed about your job and all you want to do is sit down on the couch and binge watch Netflix and you're thinking, oh, people just get away from me, right? We, 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 we have these experiences where we forget what life is really about. And, and what we want to talk about today is we want to explain that this is a very normative experience. This even happened with the disciples, the very men who walked with Jesus for three years. We, and See, we have the benefit of looking back on the process of the crucifixion and the resurrection through the lens of the Bible. But for the, for the disciples, they were living in that moment, and it brought uncertainty to them. Listen to how they were shifting back and forth between what they believed about Jesus. Jesus told the disciples earlier in the week, before his death and resurrection, that he would be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and that they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. 
and that he would be raised on the third day. And then Jesus further reminds uh, the disciples about these things on the night before he went to the cross at the communion table. This is from Matthew 26, verses 26 and 27. He says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat, this is my body. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you that I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And then after that, Jesus is taken. He's hung on a cross for six hours. And and he told the disciples, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to die. I'm going to be put in a rich man's tomb for three days. But do you know what the disciples were doing during that time? Even after Jesus said all of this stuff to them, they were afraid. They hid. They ran. They locked themselves behind doors because they were afraid of what might happen to them. You see, Jesus' death brought confusion to them, and they had forgotten what Jesus had said about that moment. See, these are the original men who hung out with Jesus for three years. And if they can forget in three days who he said he was, is it reasonable to think and own that we too might drift away from what Jesus has told us? That we might forget what we know and believe about him? See, shifts happen because our five senses, they scream about what seems real to us. For the disciples, remember, it smelled like death, it looked like death, it it had to be death. And so maybe Jesus wasn't who he said he was. But what did Jesus do? Thankfully, we're here to celebrate his resurrection, right? He defeated death, the final enemy, and and he came back to life and, and gave us an ultimate victory over death. But things can happen fast. Things can shift quickly. And I do want to point out that those very same disciples who hid in fear that they may be put to death because of their relationship with Jesus, after his resurrection, do you know what they did? They chose to publicly announce that they were followers of Jesus. And they told everyone around them they also needed to follow in the Jesus way. And they surrendered their lives unto death on behalf of Jesus because they trusted in who he was. Shifts happen. Sometimes for the worse. But sometimes for the better. So, where are you living today? What do you believe in? Where where is your peace and and your assurance of life? Where does it truly come from? How have you shifted in your own life? We want to make sure that when we shift in our our faith, that we shift in the right direction and experience more of God, more of his abundance rather than less. For some of you, maybe you have a, a faith background that included a personal commitment to God, where you prayed a prayer to be a follower of Jesus, but now, today, you don't feel like that prayer counted or it mattered or that you even have a need for God. For others, maybe you've never experienced any of this stuff. Maybe Jesus, this whole concept of his life, death, and resurrection is foreign to you. And I want to say thank you for joining us today. Thank you for wrestling through with some of these questions and listening to us talk about it. We're glad that you are here. There's probably many of us, though, in this room who have struggled with this question. How can I know for sure 
that God is who he says he is and that I'm saved. I, I know personally, uh, when I was a young Christian, uh, as, a, as a, a young man walking through the halls of my high school, I believe that if I sinned in my life and I died before I was able to confess that sin, that I would suffer hell. And so I would walk through my halls of my school like muttering to myself like a crazy person. Oh, dear Lord, I'm so sorry for what I just thought. Oh, dear Lord, I'm sorry for what I said. Oh, I can't believe I just did that or thought that or saw that or whatever. And then, you know, you go out into traffic and it's like even more frightening because if a car hits you before you say, I'm so sorry. Uh, Craziness. Like, uh, I didn't have many conversations with people because I looked crazy and also because I was constantly asking for forgiveness. But here's the great thing. You see, in my life, as I've grown more mature in my faith, I've experienced a shift where now I know I have the assurance that Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection has freed me from all of that sin. And I'm forgiven once and for all, no matter what. Did you know that a 2011 Barna study showed that 50% of Americans have prayed a prayer to ask God for forgiveness and declare they are followers of Jesus, subsequently believing they're going to heaven. However, 50% of those have no regular church attendance and don't trust the Bible. And two-thirds of them have lifestyles or worldviews that have no reflection at all of being a follower of Jesus. So if you are here and you're a little uncertain in your faith, know that you're not alone. You're not alone at all. There's a lot of people lacking assurance. If you're one of those people who made a decision to to move away from faith because it was less than compelling, maybe you come to Easter with family and and you hear a message about the need to be saved and follow Jesus and you kind of say, well, been there, done that. I prayed the prayer, I I went to the class, I was baptized, confirmed catechism, whatever it was, I'm good, my my grandma was there, It it was really meaningful. And yet the Bible speaks frequently about a kind of faith that is superficial, that doesn't save us at all. And the tragedy for us is the, that kind of superficial faith has immunized many from understanding and experiencing the real goodness of the gospel, leaving people with a been there, done that attitude. It's like the prayer you prayed or the class you went to was a vaccine shot. And I'm, I'm sure you remember from biology class in high school how vaccines work. You, you inject a little bit of the disease, usually a dead or impotent version of the disease, into your body. And then you develop antibodies to fight the real thing. And that may be what happened to you in your faith. You never got infected with the real goodness of God because you've been immunized by superficial religion. I got to tell you, I'm really sorry if that's happened to you. But there's also a good side of that immunization for some of you. Allow me to show you through Jesus' own words, by you reacting to that dead, impotent version of the gospel, you rightly rejected a corrupted version of what it means to follow Jesus and to be the church. In Matthew 7, Jesus talks about what it looks like for us to immunize, be immunized from real faith in, in, in clear and, and actually rather haunting terms when he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And, and then Jesus goes on and he says, on that day, so let's, let's make sure we understand what day Jesus is talking about. What day is that? It's the day we end up at the pearly gates facing eternity and standing before God. On that day, many will say to me, 
Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me. Jesus is saying, go to hell, you workers of lawlessness. Wow, Ross, some of you are thinking, a way to bring up a, one of the scariest scriptures in all of, of Christian history on, on Easter, the day that's supposed to be sunshine, flowers, beautiful, brightly colored dresses. And what do you give me? You give me Ross, the Scrooge Killjoy preacher. <laughs> I want you to hang with me because that's not my purpose to leave you there. It's to lead you to the hope and joy and confidence that you should feel on Easter. See, what Jesus is saying here is that people sometimes assure themselves of salvation, their eternal destination with God in ways that are not legitimate. And instead, fake, wrong, not true Christianity. Jesus tells us in this passage and surrounding passages, just because you prayed a prayer to call Jesus Lord doesn't make you a Christian or a follower of Jesus. Jesus also points out that religious activity, doing good godly deeds, doesn't save you. Giving money, serving the poor, doing good deeds, going on good mission trips, making the the balance of your life tip more to the good rather than the evil doesn't make you saved or put you in right relationship with God. It 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 doesn't lead to the good that God has planned for your life. When People find out a lot of times and first meet me and find out I'm a pastor. I regularly end up having this kind of strange conversation where people tell me how good they are. (laughs) Saying things like, ah, Ross, I figure I give to those in need. I, I do more good than bad. And that's what the good Lord wants. I hear that phrase all the time. That's what the good Lord wants. So I must be okay. God loves for us to be generous. And to do good things. He's delighted in that. But that doesn't deal with the reality of sin, salvation, and right relationship with God. And notice, Jesus doesn't just cite good deeds in this passage. He cites amazing spiritual deeds. They prophesy. They cast out demons. They do mighty works, meaning they see healings and miracles happen because they pray. These dudes Jesus is talking about are the supermen of spirituality and faith. But Jesus actually says, hold on. Not necessarily. Other times people argue that they are right with God because they have generally good morals and they're sorry for their sin. But, but feeling bad about sin and generally good morals doesn't prove you are right with God. I mean, the people talking to Jesus, that Jesus talking about when he says this, were, were moral and sorry for their sin, at least moral and sorry enough that they prayed a prayer and called God Lord. Besides, lots of people who aren't Christians are generally moral and sorry for the sin. I mean, that's what the whole field of psychology is built on, helping people deal with their guilt and their, their harmful habits. So let me get really specific with kudos to those of you who rejected church or faith because you recognized something was wrong. As I've sat and pondered this scripture over the years, I often wonder if some of you here who only do church a few times a year with family or something, those of you who may have had a stronger faith earlier in your life, maybe prayed a prayer to follow Jesus earlier in life, I've wondered if some of you didn't distance yourself from church or faith in Jesus because of church people who were likely the people Jesus is talking about in this passage. 
you rejected the same people Jesus rejects because something was wrong. Why do I think that? Because even as a pastor, I at times have been tempted to give up on church and God for the very same reasons. I get it. I get it. The whole feeling of if that's what some church people are like, then I want nothing to do with church or Christianity. See, Jesus is talking here about people who worked hard for religion, but whose lives did not seem right. People who talked about love, but, but didn't really love well. People who healed and prayed and cared and served and gave, and, but their motivation their self, was self-serving, it was self-righteous, doing it to prove they were better than other people. So kudos for you recognizing something was not right in that and rejecting it. That sense you got that something was off, you may not label this way, but, but allow me to suggest that was God's Spirit coming to you, working for you to recognize that which was false or hypocritical or damaged corruption or damaged corrupt version of the real thing. But could I also point out a possible problem even in that good decision that you've made? If you've decided to distance yourself from God or the church as a result of that, to, to look at a few church people and reject God and his church, that's no different than saying because some people crash their cars, I'm never going to get in a car again. What if there's a different way to respond to what you rejected about church or Christianity, a way to respond that doesn't lead you away but leads you to a vibrant, authentic, real faith? Yeah, that's what we want to talk about today. So how, how can we have assurance that we know God? How, how can we have confidence that we're following Jesus and, and that we're secure in our faith? I, I think assurance begins when we recognize that God initiates love and that he pursues us first. The lack of assurance comes when we start to wonder what someone thinks about us, whether they'll show up for us or whether we can really count on them. John says it this way in, in his letter, 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. He says, we love because God loved us first. We didn't have to wait for Jesus to come to us. He came when we were still rebelling against him, when we were prideful, when we wanted to live life on our own terms. And this is really what we're celebrating today, that God sent his son to die for us, that, that he was resurrected back to life, and he continues to pursue us so that we can experience an abundant life. See, it's not us that initiates with God. It's him who initiates with us. It's not us who have to pursue God in the beginning, but it's God who pursues and woos us. But if you're still not confident in who God is, if you're, if you're still struggling with that, I want to, let's talk about that for a minute. See, every part of our life is affected by what we think about God. And I know that that sounds like an exaggerated statement, but I truly believe it, that every part of our life is affected by what we believe about God. We see this in all other areas of our lives too. For instance, if you don't trust someone is reliable, then you don't lean on them. Like, for instance, like think about your, your boss. If you, if you have a boss at work that you don't trust, how risky are you going to be at work? How are you, um, feel, how comfortable do you feel initiating at work? 
when you feel like he's, he's untrustworthy or she's untrustworthy? How free are you to excel in your job? So if you don't trust God, then you're going to have a similar effect happening in your life. If you don't see God lovingly pursuing you when difficult times come along, you're going to face them differently than if you do trust God. Your, your answer to where is God in the midst of this broken situation is different when you trust him than when you don't trust him. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is also true. A lot of times we, we experience God in those broken moments and, and, and we, we just follow him, we believe in him in theory alone. But then when we do that, our actions become less faith-filled and clear. Our emotions become flat. So therefore, to the measure that you know that God is good, that he loves you and that he's pursuing you, that's the measure to which you are faithful to him. The assurance of your salvation begins with knowing in your heart that God loves you, even before you do any thing to love him back and that he's pursuing you to have relationship with you this is really the core of the easter celebration that jesus died for our sins when we were sinners that he resurrected back to life so that we might be able to follow him into eternal life see when you even begin to get a taste of that kind of security of love that we just talked about it snowballs your sense of assurance. So you begin to have the second signpost that gives you even greater assurance in your relationship with God, and that's this. You become gratefully responsive to facing your own sin. Being gratefully responsive to see my own sin? I don't know about you, but that's usually not my first response. But, but think about it. If you are... Truly, if you truly know God and you're not just religious, you'll increasingly go, grow willing and grateful even to allow God to expose the depths of your sin. Why? Because you know you're loved. Because you know you're forgiven. And you trust God as good for you in leaving the sin behind and walking free of it. So while sin will still make you sad... You won't be tempted to hide or be defensive or cover up or be hypocritical as much because you are loved. You'll be more authentic and humble and compassionate toward yourself and others who sin because you recognize how sinful you are as well. And yet you're loved. And so you'll treat others with that same kind of grace and love. John, Jesus' closest disciple and friend, identifies two additional signposts uh, to help us find assurance and confidence. In 1 John 5, he says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So our third signpost that assures us is this, that you have placed your hopes for life and heaven entirely in Jesus. Now let's try to understand what Jesus is saying here, John's saying here, when he says believe in the name. What, what, is, what does that actually mean? He means you rest in the account of. So, so maybe think about it this way. If you were invited by a billionaire to stay at an exclusive resort that you could never afford, all expenses paid for anything you wanted to do, and you came to check in, you would say, I'm under the name of Mr. Billionaire, right? Which means don't charge my credit card. I'm under this rich person's name. 
When you believe in the name of the Son of God, you are resting in the ac- His actions to save you. You don't attempt to earn heaven by drawing on your own moral bank account. You go under His name, withdrawing under Jesus' righteous account in your place. See, the gospel, that's the essence of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And by its very nature, it produces assurance in us because you're not depending on how well or how much you've done to earn your way to a good life now or in eternity. You're resting in Jesus' finished work and showing his, of showing his ultimate love for you, which is exactly what we celebrate at Easter and every day following him. You see, if I say to you, are you a Christian? And your answer is, while I'm trying, I'm doing my best. Do you realize that that response shows you don't really fully get it yet? See, you still think there is a level that you need to perform to to qualify for this title Christian. There's nothing left you need to do. Jesus finished the work of forgiveness and salvation and your only response is to accept that work and rest in it and live out of the security and gratefulness of being so extravagantly loved by God. You've been wondering what this chair is for here, thinking that maybe uh, we were going to preach a really long time and one of us is going to have to take a seat to finish the day, right? (laughs) It's for you, old man. (laughs) I'll own it. I am the old man up here. Maybe an analogy of the chair might help. How do you know you made a decision to truly follow Jesus? Well, how do you know you made a decision to sit down where you're sitting right now? All of you made a decision when you came in to sit down, right? Do you remember making it? Do you remember consciously thinking, well, this chair looks sturdy. The legs look like they're solid wood. I'm sure it will hold me up, and I believe it will hold me up. So I choose, everybody, I choose to sit down. Anybody here do that? No? Of course not. It was a subconscious decision. In general, you trust chairs, and you trust these chairs enough just by seeing them. You don't even have to think about it. The proof of your trust is the fact that you're sitting. So how are you supposed to know that you made a decision to trust Jesus? Because you trust his love enough that you find yourself seated in him right now. If you are seated in him right now, even though you have never trusted in Jesus in that way before, then you are saved and you are secure in his love for eternity. But but, but some of you might say, well, I don't ever remember praying a prayer. I I don't remember when I made that decision. If you're seated in him right now, then then who cares? Maybe... Your experience is like Chris. Chris is a a friend I I know, and Chris and I were sitting at at a restaurant talking, and I I asked him when he made his decision to follow Jesus, and tell me about that. And Chris said, well, 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 I don't know. So I said, well, well, tell me about that. I want to know what that I don't know means. So he said, I used to go rock climbing with this guy who would always talk to me about faith, and and then one day he challenged me, Chris, if you really want to find out for yourself whether God is true, you should start reading the Bible, learn to meditate on it, and pray, and discover where God, whether God is more than just a book and morals, or if he's someone who's alive and interested in knowing you and you knowing him. 
And he went on to say, this guy helped me figure out how to, you know, what that looked like to pray and, and read the Bible and meditate. And so he says, so I read the Bible and meditated and prayed daily for about a year. And then he said, one day, it was a day just like any other day, I was sitting eating breakfast. And I just all of a sudden thought, I, I've been sitting in the chair trusting Jesus for some time now. And you know what? I sense his love and I trust his love for me, that he's real. And sitting in Jesus holds me up. So Chris decided to get baptized. He couldn't point to a specific time when he began to believe. He couldn't point to a specific prayer. He just realized he was sitting in Jesus. So on the other hand, what if I told the chair how much I trusted it, but I never sat down? Maybe you're one who remembers praying a prayer and telling Jesus how much you trusted him, but you, but you aren't sitting in and resting in Jesus right now. You aren't really trusting him. Maybe you shifted. Maybe, maybe you drifted away. Instead, you believe in Jesus, but, but you live life keeping God at a, at a comfortable distance, a controlled distance, not living as one trustingly responsive to God. See, the point is not the prayer you prayed, the point is the posture you're in now. Assurance of salvation, being right with God, comes not by remembering a prayer you prayed or a class you took or a catechism course you passed, but by the posture toward Him in the present. Yeah. So a fourth and final way that we can be assured of our salvation, we, we find this in 1 John chapter 5, verse 18. John writes this. He says, We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. But the one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. This is what John is painting here in this, in this scripture. He's, he's saying that Jesus is standing between a sinner, which is all of us in this room, and Satan. So John knows that, that we're all sinners. He knows that we're all broken. In fact, he says it earlier in his letter in, in chapter 1, verse 8. You can look that up later. But he also knows that Jesus' death on the cross protects us from any harm that Satan wants to hurt us with. He knows that Satan is trying to accuse us, trying to remind us, trying to convince us that our sin is keeping us from Jesus. And Jesus is standing right in between us and Satan saying, no, you cannot shoot those arrows at my son or daughter. They are protected by my blood. They are protected by my life and death and resurrection. He's and this is the beautiful thing, too, about this, is that oftentimes we think that Jesus wants to chastise us. He wants to remind us. He wants to, to do all of this stuff for our sin. But really what he's doing is he's fighting on our behalf against the enemy that wants to accuse us of our sin. And so uh, our fourth assurance is this, that we trust in Christ's forgiveness even when we fail and when we sin. And, and, and each of us, Whenever we start to go back into sin, which we all do, that's a pretty normative part of our life, Jesus protects us. You see, all of us backslide, and that means that we sometimes drift over more towards the, thing of the world, things of the world rather than the things of God. That we shift away from, from what we know about Jesus, but a sign of someone who is saved is that they always come back to God. Let's explore that scary passage that... Ross read earlier. <laughs> Make sure that you guys know that was him that brought it up. 
Matthew 7, 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So the, so the one who returns to God, who comes back, the one who shifts back to him, is the one who is doing the will of the Father. First John chapter 2, four, uh, verse 4, John says it this way. He says, Whoever says that I know him, that's Jesus, but does not keep his commandments is a, what does it say? A liar. Now or even. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> what he's saying is this. If, 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 you, if you know God and practice sin. Now, I don't mean struggle with sin. Those are two very different things. The idea of practicing sin and struggling with sin are, are very different things. Um, uh, so... When we practice sin, that means engaging in sin in a willful and defiant way. When we do that, we are liars. And I know that's a hard thing to hear, but, but there's a simple fact that we can't love God and love the things that grieve his heart. Right? We can't love God and be neutral towards the things that he hates. And our salvation isn't demonstrated by never falling. But it's demonstrated by what we do when we fall. So do you trust in God's grace? Do you trust in his forgiveness, his love? And so therefore, you keep heading towards him in the right direction. Conversion, salvation, it's not about sinless perfection, but it's about moving towards God. Shifts happen. So where do you stand with God? We're going to close today with an interactive story. Band, if you guys can come on back up. I'm going to come down to the front here. If you, is that okay if I speak to you guys down here? You guys okay with that? All right. It's a little different here. We're, we, we, we know that, that shifts happen in our lives. And uh, for this reason at Quest, this is why we value relationships uh, over a lot of other things. In fact, that's why we have uh, written above the sanctuary, relationships are the mission. It's the reason that we say that you should get involved into a, in a small group or, or volunteer in a ministry because we know that in relationships, particularly Christian relationships, that when we shift away from God, those relationships will help challenge us to draw closer or draw back to God. So last fall, we had a discipleship training here at Quest, and, and over several days, the group looked deep into the transformative work of Jesus. During this time, one of the individuals who, who doesn't attend our church but attends a different church in, in somewhere else in, in Ohio, um, this person's a very committed follower of Christ. In fact, they're in full-time ministry. But they were, they were sharing their story of faith with the group. And as this woman shared, she remained very fact-based in her telling of her story of faith. She had very little passion. She had very little emotion, very little relational connection to her story with God. And um, she, she commented about how she was doing all of the right things in life, but it was evident that she had shifted away from God, that she was keeping God at a distance and, and living with a very strong sense of self-sufficiency and duty. So as she was sharing, the facilitator of the weekend felt that God wanted to help this person recognize how she had shifted in her relationship with God. And the facilitator stood in the middle of the group and had this person stand right in front of her. And the facilitator then asked a series of questions and made a series of statements and, and asked the woman, she said, 
Will you say no to all of the statements that I'm about to say and the questions that I'm about to ask you? And the facilitator was ultimately playing this role of Jesus. Now, if you'll allow me, I want to reenact this moment with you guys. Is that okay? You guys willing to do that? I'm going to play the role of Jesus, and I'm going to ask you to play the role of the woman who was prompted to say no, which means whenever I make a statement, I'm going to ask you to out loud uh, say no back, okay? Uh, Let's practice real quickly. So I might say something like, I loved you before the world began, and then you would respond with, no. No, very good. I want to prompt you with something. As I make some of these statements, and you're responding with no, you may feel tension because you don't want to say no to the statements. But I want you to say no. Live in that tension. Okay? Let's try this together. I'm going to be Jesus. I loved you before the world began. No. I came for you. No. I came to rescue you. No. I came to be your king. No. Come, follow me. No. I came to be your provider. No. I came to be your righteousness. No. I came to cover your shame. No. I came so that you might have life. No. I see you and I know you. No. I'm sufficient for all of your sin. No. I am enough for you. No. I came to make you mine. No. I rejoice over you. No. I laid down my life for you. No. Will you bow down to me? No. Well, then I will bow down for you. And this is who Jesus is to you and me. This is what we celebrate at Easter. That God, even in our saying no to him, came as Jesus and he paid the price that our no deserves. And now he bows at your feet to show you how much he loves you and he's pursuing you even when you say no to him. See, in that moment last fall when that woman experienced what we just modeled for you, she became keenly aware that she had shifted. She had drifted. She she was living life keeping God at a distance. What are you keenly aware of? I know most of you wanted to say yes to most of those things because you believe those things. but, But if you're like me, being forced to say no, there were some of them that I I had to look at and go, wow, there's a part of me that is saying no in that area. I'm really struggling with that to say yes to God right now. What are you keenly aware of? 
We want you to just experience God's forgiveness, His, assur- His assurance for you coming to you. Uh, are you sitting in trust of that right now or, or, or in all of your life or in a, an area of life? Are you merely standing in belief but not sitting? Are you positioning yourself looking toward God or looking away? We want you to just remain seated and, and just listen and allow this song to speak to you. Some of you really struggled saying no because you want to say yes. So let's just say yes together now. Yes, Lord, you are risen. Yes, Lord, we receive your forgiveness. Yes, Lord, thank you that you come to me even in the midst of the most horrible, difficult circumstances of life, that you are there and you are good. Here's the invitation for today. Some of you recognize that you've been religious your whole life. You've been moral your whole life, wanting to be a good person, trying to do more good than bad, but but, but you realize you never really sat in trust of Jesus. You've lived life keeping Him at a distance. You can make that decision right now. Maybe you already have. Maybe in that song you just said, God, forgive me. And if you said it in that song, then you've just taken a seat. And you are secure in Him. He loves you. He's going to pursue you every day of your life, the rest of your life, to bring good to you. If you didn't to make that decision, but you want to, well, prayer team, come on down. I, I want you to, before you leave today, talk to one of the prayer team, or, or maybe you've got somebody next to you you came with who you know is seated in this chair with Jesus. They've been an inspiration to you in their faith. You can turn to them and say, I made that decision today. I want to make that decision now. Would you pray with me to make that decision? And walk out of here knowing that kind of forgiveness, knowing that kind of love. For some of you, you made that decision a long time ago, but because of hurt, because of reasons, because of whatever, maybe because of some of your failures and sin, you've put up a wall and you've walked away. And you believe still in Jesus, but but you know you're not seated there. And you know God's tugging your heart today to take that seat again and to trust Him. So I want to invite you to do that as well. And again, you can turn to a friend if you want or come down to one of these prayer people. For most of us, many of us, maybe, maybe we've believed and we've taken that seat for a long time, but, but life is one of these things where we, we take that seat, and I don't know about you, but I go through life on a regular basis just crying out to God saying, God, I, I want to follow you so well. I want to I want to trust you in everything, but there are areas of my life, and God, you're secure in that. You don't have to worry about your salvation if that's the heart cry of your heart, but, but there are areas of your life where, where you're, maybe in that area you're not seated. And maybe as we went through those no's, maybe, maybe one of them stood out. Maybe, maybe that provision thing that I'm here to provide for you, or I'm, I'm always with you, or maybe one of those statements, you, you felt a twinge because your no felt too real. And God's inviting you to say, give me that area. Take a seat in that area too. 
you can do that however you want, but I would recommend that you make that something you say to somebody today, that I'm taking that seat because doing something, getting prayer, talking to someone about it helps, helps us actually take the action. If you hold it to yourself, you're going to always doubt whether you actually took the action the next time you fail in it. You're going to maybe not trust that you're forgiven and you're going to just wonder whether you did it. Gain some assurance by telling somebody today. I want to invite you back next week. We're going to start a new series called We Love Our City. If we know how to follow God right, then our city is going to look at us and go, those people really love us. And that's what we want to be as a church. So we want to encourage you to come back next week and invite a friend. God bless. Thank you for joining us for Easter. Happy Easter. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at gotoquest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.